Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, hello. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, each week on Living Free, we highlight an addiction story relating to drugs, alcohol, gambling or food. Our guests share their recovery experience and hope that their story can encourage others who want to change their lives. Uh, my name's Bill and today my guests are going to share their experience of drug addiction and how Narcotics Anonymous has helped them. I'd like to welcome Melissa and Paul to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having us. Okay. Um, so we usually start talking about um, sort of growing up and what life was like and how, um, how that sort of influenced your, your life, you know, and, and also how you sort of found out about drugs and alcohol and how they become part of your lives. So, Melissa, what was, what was life like for you growing up? Life on the outside, uh, looking in, seemed to be pretty good. Uh, I went to a good school. I had friends. Uh, everything seemed fine. I had a loving mother. Uh, so you could say uh, it ticks all the boxes. Yeah. My parents got divorced when I was a baby. Uh, I didn't have a close relationship with my father that I yearned for. Uh, in some respects, I think they used me as fodder uh, because of the feelings they had for one another, which really had a detrimental effect upon me growing up and maturing because I think when I came into recovery, I was very emotionally immature. So um, it was about receiving love. I had smothering and I had abandonment, so I had both issues. Yeah. And... Um, it's only through being in recovery that I've been able to find a happy medium within the two of self-acceptance. But that took a long time. So growing up in that sort of environment um, made things difficult to accept. And it just, just continued, you know, uh, because I didn't have the love that I wanted when I was growing up. I sought it in different areas, whether that meant um, not being... Uh, taking the right choices with partners, uh, choosing partners that were toxic to myself, uh, or trying to be a people pleaser. I, yeah. I was such a huge people pleaser. You know, I thought that if I changed to make another person happy, then they'd like me or they'd want to be with me. And, um, well, they did for a short amount of time, but then I was the only person who didn't like myself. So... Uh, drugs and alcohol tended to make everything a lot easier. Yeah. So how old were you when you started dabbling in drugs and alcohol? Well, the very first time I got drunk, I um, I was five years old. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty early. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I was having lunch with my parents and there was champagne on the table and I was just sipping it. And then uh, my mother told me I just slid off the chair on the floor and so... Although, I mean, like uh, all my friends at school, we all started sort of drinking every now and then uh, when we were about 15. Uh, but it was not a lot. 
uh, it didn't really get to the binge drinking stage until I was about 16 or 17. And then it wasn't every weekend, you know, mainly because we couldn't afford it. So, um, and, and then you tend to mix with older people who do have the alcohol. Uh, and But drugs weren't so much a part of my picture at that stage. Yeah. Maybe every now and then we'd smoke a little bit of dope. But um, it was mainly the uh, the alcohol. Right. Okay. Uh, so what about you, Paul? What was life like growing up for you? Uh, I, I, well, I think it was fairly normal um, until about the age of uh, 12. Um, my parents got divorced. Um, things... Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I was quite young. I don't really recall um, it having much effect on me. But when I, I look back now and I think, uh, you know, how things could have been quite different if, if that event hadn't happened, um, quite possibly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, th- I, I guess I was fairly awkward as a kid. Um, I had, uh, I don't know, I felt like I had problems fitting in. It was relatively normal until about the age of 12, 13 and... Um, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, early high school, um, I suffered from some bullying, that sort of thing, and things just got more and more awkward. Uh, I developed a uh, quite a chronic skin condition, psoriasis, at the age of about 15, and, um, you know, that, that had a very detrimental effect on my self-esteem and self-image, and, uh, you know, life just got harder and harder uh, from that point on, and um, uh, I lost my brother, who uh, took his life at the age of, uh, I was 16 at the time, he was 20, and... And I guess from from that point, that's that's when my living problem really uh, became a problem. Yeah. So when did you start um, using alcohol or drugs? Uh, I, I experimented from the age of about thirteen, uh, and things. Uh, I, I guess <clears throat> I stopped caring around the time uh, my brother took his life. I, I guess. Um, you know that a part of me died and I stopped caring and uh, that's when I started basically using um, any mind-altering substance I could find on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So do you think you were depressed? I think so. I think, look, like I said, the psoriasis had a very big effect on me. It was, it was very, you know, it was on my face and things like that. It was very difficult to deal with at that very challenging age. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, when I lost my brother, um, you know, I was very close to my brother. It was a, a very traumatic experience and, um, you know, things got, uh, I, I guess I just stopped caring and, and any sort of, um, any, any sort of plans for the future, uh, which, you know, there, I guess there never really was any big plans for the future, but, um, I stopped thinking about the future at that point and, uh, just, tried to deal with today on a day-to-day basis and you know that became my solution using uh, drugs and alcohol became my solution to my life problems at that point right so how did that affect your school Uh, i dropped out of school shortly after that Uh, i was already doing pretty poorly at school i was already repeating year 10 uh, when my brother passed away so um you know it became apparent very quickly after my brother passed away that um yeah I, i I wasn't going to be um, travelling too well, having to deal with you know life and school at the same time, and and so I, I think my father pulled me out of school at that time. I mean, I was quite happy to leave at that time, and um, I started going to TAFE shortly after that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, obviously, um, I, I 
yeah, I, I guess I would have done nothing had I had the choice. I, I yeah. would have been, uh, you know, down at the local bus stop or train station drinking and drugging on a daily basis. That would have been my life. But, um, you know, my father uh, had the had the sense to, you know, make sure I wasn't doing nothing um, to try and keep me busy uh, to some degree. And so I went off to TAFE for a while and uh, I actually managed to uh, pass a course doing that. And then I was working for my father um, after that. Um. So did it interfere with your working life then? I mean, so you got through school, okay, yeah, school and TAFE, but it must have been having some impact. Yeah, it was. I mean, I um, I guess I, I didn't have the resources uh, to be using drugs, you know, all day, every day at that point. I was, you know, yeah. I was still, still young. I had no income, so it was yeah. more opportunistic than anything else. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I guess my motivation levels were very low, but I, you know, I, I turned up on a, a day-to-day basis and, you know, um, somehow managed to get through it. Uh, can't say I really learnt a lot, but I somehow managed to, <laughs> to get through it. Um, so. okay. what, what about your friends? Did you, were your friends doing the same things? Uh, well, I, I had a friend actually, a close friend at the same time that dropped out of school and uh, he came and did a, a course at TAFE as well at the same time. So, um, but I, I guess I, I, I stopped um, socialising a lot at that point. I guess I, I started isolating more and more as I uh, started using substances more and more and um you know, as I wasn't, you know, a lot of my friends were, were school friends and then as I wasn't going to school anymore, I, I didn't yeah. see most of those friends anymore. And uh, so, yeah, my, my group of um, so-called friends shrunk dramatically and, um, you know, but I went to tape and I made, you know, new friends sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it was... I, I really don't recall um, having... You know, I really only recall one good school friend that I used to knock about with fairly regularly, Um yeah, I don't think it's uncommon for people to have small, real friendship groups and large associate groups yeah, yeah. Um, because the nature of sort of using drugs and alcohol, it's a solitary sort of thing in a way. It's to to sort of calm you down. Yeah. Um, uh, Melissa, um, yes. so, you know, how did school go for you? School is interesting. I... Uh I found junior levels really difficult. I, at this stage, had undiagnosed epilepsy and I was having between 60 and 100 small seizures a day. So it made made learning really hard. Uh, And then it was only when I had a full-on grand mal at the age of uh, 16 that uh, I got diagnosed. So I, I left school and went to work for Red Rooster, which was soul destroying. Uh, and then I came back and did HSC, which I managed to get. Uh, I didn't pass a lot of years. In fact, HSC was really the only year that I managed to be successful in. So, uh, and then, you know, like university, uh, I wanted to be a political journalist like Michelle Grattan. She right. was my, <laughs> she was my idol. And, uh, I thought, yeah, this will be great. So I signed up for all of these uh, units that were all aimed at that. And um, then I got introduced to this small group of friends. And what did we do? We slept all day and then we gathered in one person's room at about 6pm and then we 
we just smoke all night and then at about eight o'clock in the morning we go back to our rooms and sleep yeah. and <laughs> these were like university rooms are not very big so you can just picture you lie like 12 people all being in one room yeah like you didn't actually have to be handing handing the joint around to get stoned in this room <laughs> you could do it passively uh and that lasted for two years uh and then I left and did a hairdressing course. Um, and when I did that, then the drug use just uh, stopped, basically. But um, but if it was there... Was that lack of supply? Or? No. It was just because I didn't know people who were using. But yeah. if somebody came into my social circuit that, that was, in fact, using, well, I'd just join in. Uh, it's just the only difference was I, I didn't search for it. So if the occasion arose and there were drugs there, then I would just use. But back then I was a little bit selective um, because I was mindful of the epilepsy. So I wasn't going to take anything like um, party pills or uh, LSD, but yeah. <laughs> I would only stick to one sort, forgetting, of course, that the drug that I was using actually does have an exceptionally negative effect on on having epilepsy and i'm very pleased you know like i can say that um through taking the right medication my epilepsy today is 100 percent controlled and i can drive a car wow that's good <laughs> very good i um you know there's a lot of stigma around it and um now it's controlled so i'm um, just like everybody else as far as an eeg goes okay that's good. Uh, so what about relationships during this period? Was oh, that easy? No. Relationships for me were always uh, difficult. I uh, I was always seeking, seeking love and acceptance, and I was attracting the wrong sort of people because of my people-pleasing. So the people I was attracting because I was a pleaser, they were takers. And... Uh, yeah. Long term, I might have thought I was getting what I wanted, but I didn't. And um, it was also like at that early stage where my eating disorder kicked in. So I can either go either way. Uh, I'd be with a, a partner who would want me to be skinny, so the anorexia would kick in, or I'd be with a partner who didn't care the way I looked, so then the binge eating would kick in. So I had that both of those things going on uh, but my my partners weren't really concerned with my well-being my emotional well-being uh, it was a fairly superficial uh, connection that I had thinking back on relationships that I've had I've probably only had maybe one or two relationships that have been good uh, I've been engaged a few times. I've been engaged twice. Uh, the second time I was engaged to a, a lovely guy and we kept, we saw Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, right? Great movie, great movie. But he wanted to throw a parade, you know? And I thought, no, this is odd. Uh, and then we went to St Gilda and we were looking through art books and he's looking at art books with men in them. And I thought, oh, well, you know, that's fine. So I, I said, you know, I said, darling, have you thought you might be gay? 
And he's like, oh. Uh, I said, well, look, you've really got to go and find out because you don't want to go marrying a woman <laughs> if, in fact, you are gay. And he did, and he is. And uh, I'm very pleased to say I actually pushed him out of the closet. So, um, I mean, only sent me into therapy for a while because then you wonder, was it real? Did he love me? So then you come to a conclusion that he did, in fact. But uh, that didn't do a lot for my self-esteem. No. So um, drugs were the answer. Okay. Um, so what about you, Paul? What were relationships like with you in your late teens, early 20s? Uh, I didn't have many. I had um, oh, yeah, my late teens, uh, about the age of 19, I, I, I met a girl and, um, uh, you know, we we used drugs and uh, she got pregnant, um, which, you know, looking back now was, was uh, I, I guess I'm very blessed that that happened at that point in my life because um, I guess it stopped me from spiralling uh, too far out of control. It, it made me start caring to a degree again because it wasn't just myself that I had to worry about anymore. Um, I, I purchased a, a home um, at the age of about 20, which, uh, looking back now, was, was a very good thing in, in hindsight. Uh, I was yeah, yeah, very, very lucky move. that I did that at the time. Um, but, yeah, um, I mean, that, that relationship uh, was somewhat centred around drugs and, um, you know, ultimately after about five years, uh, you know, I realised that we, we had quite different ideas about what what we wanted in life and although you know I was still using drugs on a day-to-day basis I it's not what I wanted to do I certainly had associates that saw themselves doing that for the rest of their lives but I didn't have the desire to do that for the rest of my life um, it seemed to be a, a solution that I was relying on at that point but I, I, I always believed that life would be better without drugs and um, you know I just uh, I guess I've, I've been searching for the last 20 years about you know uh, how to actually achieve that how do, how do I get off drugs and, and have that life that I know is better without drugs. Uh, yeah so um, during that time did you want to give up drugs? Absolutely, just, yeah, yeah, okay. and I and I tried on many occasions. And look, I look, my problem wasn't um, putting down drugs. My pro- my problem wasn't getting off drugs. My problem was staying off drugs. And okay. uh, yeah. you know, I, I I would go through the withdrawal process, and um, you know, which which from alcohol, marijuana, that sort of thing is is not that big of a deal. Uh, but you know, life would get tough, and uh, I would go back to my old solutions. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, so we might take a quick break. Uh, You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, We've got over 80 episodes of the Living Free Show available as podcasts and they're on our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. So you can check them out. Uh, If you want to send us a message, then you can contact us via 3CR by phone on 03 9419 8377. Uh, You can email us at 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com and we're also on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. Uh, we've got a Radiothon coming up um, and for us it's going to be on the 13th of June. Uh, I'll just play a quick announcement. In 2019, 3CR has the power. Add your support during the annual Radiothon to Power Radical Radio. Radiothon starts 3rd of June. To donate, call 03 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 
This is Living Free, and I'm talking with Melissa and Paul, and we're chatting about Narcotics Anonymous and how it's helped them recover from drug use. Um, so, Melissa, when did your drug taking become a problem? Uh, when it became a serious problem was uh, I had a close relationship with my mother, and she passed away in August 2012. And then, you know, you managed to get yourself back together again, and then my my stepfather died by suicide in May the following year. So my foundation as a person was just shattered. And um, it was the drug use after then that became really unmanageable. Uh, meeting again the wrong person, being a people pleaser, uh, and being naive about drugs. I, um, I had really no idea about some drugs. Like, I didn't know about... I didn't know about ice. I didn't know about heroin. Uh, to me, you know, like, even if I, uh, after I started using them, uh, he turned to me one day and he said, you do know you're an addict. And I was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I mean, I was only using the stupid thing like five day, five times a day, but uh, I had so much denial that I still didn't uh, think that I was. And, and everything about life, just all it was about was getting drugs you know, was isolating because I was his ATM. Yeah. So he's really not going to let me see anybody else because he doesn't want to lose his ATM, does he? Um, so you're not seeing anybody. Um, the police got me out of the relationship uh, from a welfare check. Uh, looking back on the relationship uh, with hindsight, it was a domestic violence relationship, not physical. Uh, was emotional. Uh, towards the end, I did everything to please him, from the way I dressed to the way I spoke to uh, everything. You know what what we watched on movies, music. Uh, we we sold my mother's car for five thousand uh, dollars, and someone got a bargain. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Uh, so uh, life really became unmanageable. And the secrets, oh, the secrets that you had to keep, they were exhausting. And then you'd have to remember what you said uh, to remain, keep the secret up. And I used to tell part truths. And because I told part truths, I convinced myself that I wasn't actually lying in the first place. So it just became a cycle of hiding the drug use and then isolating uh, you know, like when we had to declutter my family home so I could sell it, uh, we got rid of four skip bins full of things, uh, a lot of treasured memories. So that in itself was very traumatic. But, you know, when you're using that amount of drugs, it, you know, even the most traumatic event just flies past. So um, that's all life was. And I kind of thought mm, it'd be nice to stop. You know, but I had absolutely no idea how this was going to happen, and so I was sort of just going along with the story and um, just using drugs. You know, there were there wasn't any other answer. Um, we had a certain amount of money in uh, the bank account, 
and I was uh, very, I was freaking out uh, because we weren't going to buy, be able to buy drugs. And um, that's when we were going to go away to sale. And I actually think that he was actually, we weren't going to just go away to sale, that we were going to do a runner uh, because of the way he'd set it up. Uh, and that's when the police stepped in. And um, that was interesting because my dealer actually phoned me while I was at the police station. And, you know, you just don't want your dealer to speak to the police, you know. It just doesn't go down well. And he was pretty stupid, right, because, like, about three or four days later he got nicked. And in where I was living, which is Richmond, you do not want your dealer to think that you're the person who dogged him in, you know, because we all know what happens to rats. And... Thankfully, my ex actually managed to sort that out. Um, it was quite surreal being in the police station because uh, I've never had any problems with the police before. Um, so did they get you into rehab? No, no, they tried to. They tried to get me into a detox. They tried to get me into a rehab, uh, but they couldn't do it. And they were um, they were incredibly caring, uh, the Janelle and Heather, fantastic police. I know we hear bad things about the police, but they really went beyond to help me. And uh, I ended up at the Alfred, uh, where I was told, don't worry, we'll give you drugs to get through this. I'm thinking, great. And they gave me Panadol. (laughs) Not quite up to it. No, no, that's a bit like someone having their leg blown off and somebody saying, oh, here's a Band-Aid. Uh, but I'm very happy I went through that experience. I, I'm very happy that I had so much pain because uh, I never want to go back there again. And it was all over, you know. I went through it and it's it's finished, you know. But, of course, you know, you, your body doesn't completely detox from that in one hit. The pain stops, but then you've got the other things like the temperature and and so on. But it definitely does get better. Okay, thanks. Uh, so what about you, Paul? Um, sort of from, I think we left you in your early 20s, you'd sort of settled down a bit. So could you continue using drugs safely or or were you using alcohol or other things? Uh, well, I, I, I guess I did um, kind of continue using drugs relatively safe, safely. I mean, I... I uh, yeah, you know, it never had any real um, any real impact. I, I I didn't lose my job, and look, a lot of this is probably uh, a lot of luck. Um, you know, I, I never. But back in those days, you know, you, you they couldn't test you for when you're driving if you're under the influence of cannabis. Um, yeah. You know, things would be a lot different today. I no doubt would have yeah. lost my license uh, several times over. Uh, but um, you know, and, and in terms of my drinking, my, my drinking was was fairly moderate. Uh, I, I didn't you know drink a lot and then get in the car and drive or anything like that. Um, I did get caught low range drink driving once um, and received a ticket for that. These days, you'd lo- lose your license instantly. Um, I think I, I blew point oh five oh, so you know, right on the borderline at that point. But you know, nowadays um, they're a bit stricter. Uh, so look, a, a lot of luck. I managed to uh, hold on to uh, my job and, and you know slowly progress in my career. I managed to, um, yeah, I, I didn't get myself in any real financial strife or anything like that. 
Um, but again, I think, uh, you know, being a, a young father um, kept me fairly grounded. Um, uh, so, yeah, when did, when did things get uh, really unmanageable? Um, I mean, look, it, it, did, it definitely was a pain. It was always a thorn in my side, you know. It was always hard to hide the fact that I was using uh, drugs on a, on a regular basis. Um, I had to travel overseas for my work on several occasions and, you know, I'd be... Um, uh, overseas for a couple of weeks at a time in Asia and, and, you know, going through detox. And it was, you know, what should have been uh, an amazing experience that I really enjoyed, yeah. um, you know, was quite miserable <laughs> because I'm, you know, stuck overseas without my drugs and, you know, in, in withdrawal. So, um, you know, certain things like that that I look back on now and, and wish things were different. Um and look, at the end of the day, like I said, I always did believe that life's better without drugs, but, you know, that was the only way that um, I knew to uh, to sort of cope at that time. That, that was my solution to my life's problems. Um, so, you know, I think things got really unmanageable when I had... Uh, and for a while, I, I put down the marijuana and, and, you know, I just drank. And, you know, that, that was... Uh, the organisation I was working for at that time had a bit of a drinking culture. And so I kind of fit in quite well there. I, I yeah. you know, didn't didn't feel like an addict at that point. Um, <laughs> Most people don't, yeah. Yeah, I, I look back, yeah, you know, I know that, that that's not normal. But, um, you know, I wasn't getting up and drinking in the morning or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I had to drink on a regular basis. It was the first thing that I did when I left work every day. Uh, there were, you know, times when um, I, look, I know I'd wake up with a hangover, um, you know, not every day, but a lot of days. It, it, you know, it's life no doubt would have been much better if I hadn't have been doing that. Uh, but I, I managed, I, I sort of coped, you know, I got through those five years. I had a, a major surgery on my back and uh, I was prescribed painkillers. Had some more trauma in my life shortly after that, and um, you know the the painkillers became my new solution, and uh, you know that's that's when things got really unmanageable. That's when. So um, did you become addicted to them? Absolutely, yeah. So I, I became physically dependent on them after a month or two, and uh, you know I, I realised pretty quickly that if I didn't have my pain medication, that I would be in quite um, significant withdrawal. I, I wouldn't be able to sleep. My legs would be dancing in bed and things like that, uh, restless leg syndrome. And, um, yeah, and, and look, it became quite apparent quickly too that, you know, if I took a, a little bit more than prescribed and took them in a certain way that uh, I would feel very good. I, <laughs> I started getting euphoria from them. And from the moment I started getting euphoria, I knew that I was in deep trouble because, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I had had enough problems with uh, so-called softer drugs um, and, you know, now I was effectively a, a prescribed heroin addict and... Uh, yeah, um, and so that you know that went on while I was being prescribed those for twelve months or so, and I I knew I had to get off them. I tried to get off them, and I did get off them for a few months, but I wasn't. I really. How, how did you get off them? I tapered down my dose, and yeah. uh, I, I went through a home detox, okay. and it was <clears throat> absolutely horrendous. Um, yeah. I, I knew it was going to be very difficult and very painful, um, and it was far worse than I ever imagined and you know my wife went through hell watching me go through that um but I, I did I got through that but what I wasn't prepared for what I'd never heard about um you know not not sort of mixing in those circles um heroin users and things like that I, I just was not prepared for the the months um after you know the so-called post-acute withdrawal where uh you know you, you basically pleasure deafness insomnia depression 
it's it, it's horrible. Um, it, it's just as bad. You know, it's so prolonged that uh, it's uh, you know it's it's almost as bad as the the week of going through hell. Um, and it traumatised me a lot. That the acute withdrawal traumatised me a lot. But uh, the post-acute withdrawal, you know, I, I ended up um, drinking and, and, you know, sort of, yeah, getting getting back into my old habit of drinking. Um, I had a fight with my wife one night and I was back on the opiates again. So uh, I ended up on a maintenance program, uh, Suboxone, and uh, I was stuck on that for the next four or five years. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, you know, for a little while, I thought it was great, you know, I, I if I take this, I don't need to, you know, I feel quite good, um, I don't have any depression, and, uh, you know, I, I don't have the, the need or want to use drugs, so, you know, illegal drugs, um, so I thought this was great, I'll take this thing once a day, and, and I don't need to, yeah, use drugs, and, um, you know, that after about six to 12 months at the most, um, you know that that basically stopped working. It um, it 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 would not it would stop me from going into withdrawal, but in terms of you know the way I felt and the quality of my life, uh, it, it started deteriorating. And um, you know I'd, I'd need to wake up in the morning and, and that would be the first thing I'd do was take that, and then I'd need to sort of wait an hour and then I'd start feeling kind of normal. But it wasn't really it wasn't the kind of normal that i remembered um it was a different kind of normal and it wasn't as good as my old normal so uh you know there was a sort of a twofold problem I, I didn't feel as good as i used to feel before i started taking opiates and and secondly i felt trapped i i felt very trapped by the whole um needing to have this medication every morning or i'd get very sick and uh I, so I desperately started wanting to get off that um felt like that would be a massive challenge Right. Okay. It doesn't sound pleasant. No, it's it's not. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. Well, listen, we might take another break. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done by Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done by law, 6pm Tuesdays. Uh, hi, uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm chatting with Melissa and Paul and we're talking about recovery from drug addiction and how narcotics anonymous can help um so melissa um you got into detox so how did you get into na it was actually my ex who introduced me to the drugs in the first place he Uh. wanted to prove that he was he was changing uh because i think he thought that i was still his atm so he took me to my first meeting and i went through my detox story at the meeting and I was really welcomed and I didn't feel any shame. I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel that I was somewhat different. I had found my tribe. I had found acceptance. So that in itself was very appealing. And I thought, hmm, these people, they're happy, they're content, they're serene. This is what I want. 
this is why I will come. And then I was given a promise and I've held on to this promise for the last five years. I was told, if you follow the program, if you take the action, if you get a sponsor, just do it. You might not understand it, you might be fearful, but just go in there and give it your best shot. You will never have to pick up again. And that has been the, the truth for me. You know, relapse has not been part of my story. Uh, recovery has been my story. And the beautiful thing is uh, the way in which NA works with program doing the 12 steps, recovery is possible for anyone. You've just got to put the action in and follow what the other older cleaner members suggest that you do. Yep. So how have you found addressing the denial, denial, denying the fact that you were an actual addict? It, I was nine months into my recovery still thinking that I was a user, okay? Uh, and then I was different from everybody else in the room because of my background and so forth. Uh, and then I got a sponsor, and she uh, – tough life sponsor. Yeah. Okay. Aren't they all? <laughs> no, my first sponsor was just love and caring. Um, but she taught me a lot. But my second sponsor, a uh, wonderful, wonderful woman, uh, tough love. And uh, she called my BS as she saw it. And that helped, you know, it helped enormously. That and the fact that um, we also did the steps from the other fellowship as well. Uh, they're shorter, um, and that really punched through my denial. And then we also did it the NA way, which is a bit more complex. So uh, I think it was that and having somebody actually catch me on my lies um, that really helped because I was still I still had the defects of character. I hadn't dealt with those. So I was still doing the things that you would – expect a typical addict to do yeah so what what was life like once you became awakened if you like once you had an awakening that you are an addict mm -hmm. that you've got to do this from now on mm -hmm. so what's that feeling like it's it's two things it's daunting and it's exciting at the same time you know uh one of the best things i think is you know it's just for today I think that if I was in the beginning to think, oh, no drugs, like somebody said, no drugs for the rest of your life, that would be very overwhelming. And I thought, well, I can do it just for today. I can I can do this. And, you know, one day you can do it or, or even break it down to half an hour. Um, but I, f I found it very uplifting because then I started to see how long-term the program could work. I always had faith, but I actually started to see from me doing action that it could work. Yeah, that it had substance. It did, yeah. yeah. Um, so did it change your relationship with the people in your life? Oh, yeah, definitely. I uh, have stopped people-pleasing, and I've actually, through doing this uh, and setting boundaries and things like that, I've actually been able to find out who is a real friend yeah. and who is a fair-weather friend yeah. and who are people that you really shouldn't mix with because uh, the way they are with with their um, 
and the way they feel about things isn't the same as in line with the way I do. So uh, it's being true to yourself as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so what about you, Paul? Um, how did you find your way into NA? What was the, the trigger for you? Uh, so I, I went into the detox um, about 12 months before I finally really got clean. Uh, towards the end of my using, I was I was drinking daily, I was smoking cannabis daily, and I was on Suboxone daily still. Um, and things things got really unmanageable, and so I started seeing an addiction specialist through a private hospital. Uh, so I was seeing her regularly for a while and then I she recommended I'd go and do an inpatient stay um, at the hospital and I, I went and spent seven days in there detoxing from alcohol and, and marijuana. Um, just got my issues down to the, the one substance. Um, so I, I started knocking them off one by one and, and after I'd done that detox, I started attending weekly meetings there at the private hospital. They had a, a alcohol and other drugs program and... I was doing those meetings and they had someone from uh, a couple of people actually from Narcotics Anonymous come in on a, uh, on a couple of occasions and uh, do, do H&I, kind of like what I'm doing here now. Uh, and they came in and they shared their story and um, one of them in, t- in particular I could really relate to um, his story, uh, you know, although, although there's, there's always a lot of differences, um, but there were a lot of similarities and I, I could relate to that. And... Uh, I guess, you know, that's that's one of the things they say when you first come into the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous is to focus on those similarities and forget about the differences because if you want to differentiate yourself from the other people in the rooms, it's very easy to do that and therefore it's, it's very easy to convince yourself that, hey, I'm not like these guys, I don't need to be here. Uh, and that was, you know, certainly for a long time that was the case with me. Um, I was very good at convincing myself that I'm not an addict uh, until, uh, I guess, until I had enough pain uh, that I really wanted to achieve some change in my life. Right. So how has it affected your relationships with your family? Uh, well, yeah, particularly with my mother, I think. Um, my relationship with my mother was, was very strained towards the end. Um, I had a, a lot of resentment against her over certain things that had happened over the years. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, I mean, after working the steps with the sponsor and, um, you know, really taking a good look at myself and finding out the real truth about myself and my life, um, it's 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 had a very big effect, and I'm, I'm I've found a lot of acceptance around uh, other people and myself, and um, you know uh, sort of broken down a lot of those resentments and, and managed to get through them. Okay, um, so what about the twelve steps? How have you found using twelve steps in your life? Uh, well, I mean, um, using them in my life, how have I found that? It's, well, uh, you know, it's a, they say it's a simple program for complex problems, and it really is that, um, you know, ac- actually working through the steps with the sponsor is really quite simple, but the effect that it has on, on your life uh, is really quite dramatic because, uh, you know, my, the, the way I thought um, when I came to the rooms, um, you know, I, I, as my sponsor said, I had justifications for my justifications. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I came into the rooms believing that, um, my, you know, everything made sense. You know, all, all of you know, my using and, and all of these behaviours that I had, it all made sense because this had happened to me and this had happened to me and this had happened to me and that's why I was the way I was. Uh, and, you know, after working the steps with the sponsor and... Um, uh, looking at you know all these different areas of my life, um, you know the people that I was angry with and why I was angry with them, and the part that I had to play in that anger, and 
uh, all of these, you know, the way I was, um, you know, trying to control the outcomes of situations and manipulating and all these sorts of things. Uh, after realizing the truth about um, my life and uh, you know how I how I got to where I am and why I was the way I was after you know having a sponsor help me see the truth and all that, uh, it changed my perspective and and changed the way I think and when I you know when the, my thinking changed the way I felt changed and when the way I felt changed, I no longer had the need to use or, or want to use any sort of substance anymore. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a change of attitude sufficient to recover is yeah, once you get that switch it's it's on and you can see clearly so how did you find um you were talking about the honesty so did that change your relationships with people you know now that you were trying to be honest yeah look i i um i never had to uh, steal or anything like that to support my addiction um i i the the work that i do requires a fairly high level of honesty and so i've always considered myself a fairly honest person uh and i remember when i came into the program and i got a sponsor and i said i oh, you know this shouldn't be too hard for you because you know i'm a fairly honest sort of person and, <laughs> and and look that was true to a certain degree but when it came to myself when it came to the stuff that i was telling myself I was so full of it. Like I, I honestly believed um, uh, all this stuff that that I'd been telling myself, and I, honestly, and it was because I couldn't see the truth. You know, I wanted to know the truth. I just there was just no way couldn't I was going to see it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it could have slapped me in the face, and I wouldn't have been able to see it. And and certainly, you know, if someone close to you tries to tell you the truth, you, you just dismiss it. Um, but when you get a sponsor who doesn't have any emotional investment in your life or you. Um, and they've got no uh, motive um, in, in telling you falsehoods. Um, you know, it's it's really f- to help you find freedom and to see the truth. Then you know, it, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to swallow the truth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, back to you, Melissa. Um, so, how long have you been in NA now? Uh, five years. Five, five years, one month. Okay. And what's looking back mm-hmm. has been an easy path. Yes and no. Yeah. Uh, I was always told, and I, it has actually, for me, it hasn't always been easy facing, looking at yourself uh, and actually facing your demons, facing uh, parts of yourself that you don't like, uh, attributes that you would much rather think you don't have. I think it's one of the hardest things to uh, actually take yourself, and then with all the things that you've done, take yourself to a place of forgiveness. You know, I find it a lot easy to forgive other people. When it comes to forgiving myself, I find that quite difficult. And I'm still in the process of doing that because uh, it's much easier looking on the outside. But when you have to look inside at yourself, that's that's the tricky bit. Yeah, <laughs> it is, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, and for you, Paul, so how long have you been in NA? Uh, I've been attending NA meetings um, since I got clean now for about nine and a half months. Okay. And looking back, your feeling, would you would you want to do anything different now? In terms of what? In terms well, of being in NA, it's... Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, my life before NA was, uh, you know, I was, I was full of fear and um, I couldn't see the truth and I was full of anger and, you know, life was hard. Um, you know, I... Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the substances that I was using had stopped working for me, so my solution had expired. I had no solution anymore, and you know that's <laughs> yeah. really what drove me into the rooms of NA. I, I was just completely broken, and all of my old solutions were no longer working for me. And um, you know, I, I've 
through through the help of NA and a, and a power greater than myself, I've found freedom from that fear and was able to see the truth and was able to find some genuine happiness and contentment in my life. Okay, thank you. Uh, if anybody's out there wanting to know a bit more about Narcotics Anonymous, uh, you can phone them on 03 9525 2833 or you can go online at uh, navic.net.au. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank Melissa and Paul for coming into the 3CR studio and sharing their Narcotics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank Thanks, you. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about the impact of eating obsessions and we'll be joined by some members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. Uh, Stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, Thanks for listening to Living Free today.